So, you want to save the world with clean energy? Make money doing it? Confused about the economic and technical realities of residential and commercial solar, batteries, heat pumps, EVs? Want the real-world scoop on new energy technologies, not manufacture hype? Then tune in to the Weekly Energy Show, hosted by Barry Cinnamon. Insights from Barry's 40-plus years in the solar and energy industry will help you understand the future ways we'll generate and consume energy. And now, here's Barry. Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, historic legislation like the Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA, doesn't happen in a vacuum. The IRA was designed to address inflation and named to address inflation, but the biggest impact that it's going to have is on our current and our future energy infrastructure. Power plants, fuels that we use, transportation, building energy, the electric grid. And the good news is the demand for that new energy infrastructure is there. The technology is there. We've got it. Sounds like the $6 million man. We have the technology. The economics are very compelling once you explain them to people. And the cool thing about this, and I've seen it happen again and again and again in industries and solar is just the most recent. When the economics of these environmental products and projects and services align, the adoption of these new technologies just absolutely take off, just like solar, just like wind, and just like batteries right now. So the Environmental Entrepreneurs, or E2, that's the organization that advocates for smart policies that are good for both the economy and the environment. Their members funded more than 2,500 companies. They've created over 600,000 jobs, and they manage over $100 billion in venture and private equity capital. So it's my pleasure to have E2's executive director, Bob Keefe, as our guest on this week's show. So welcome to the show, Bob. Oh, Barry, it's fantastic being with you. Thanks so much. All right, cool. Well, thanks for coming here from San Diego. It's a little, probably even a little bit warmer here than in San Diego. It's, it's a hot day. It's pretty warm today, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. A, lot, a lot of solar out there. Today. A lot of air conditioning running. That's right. That too. <laughs> All right, right. So let's dive right into it. Tell us a bit more about E2. Absolutely. So E2 was founded 22 years ago when a group of business people here in Silicon Valley started to get together and advocate and push for policies that are good for our economy and our environment. And Barry, we got started working on what then was the first ever clean car standards, the greenhouse gas emission standards, tailpipe standards in California. You may remember this as the Pavley Bill. And at the time, we had petroleum companies, we had auto companies coming to California and going to Sacramento and saying, hey, California, if you do this crazy thing and start limiting tailpipe emissions from our vehicles, it's going to ruin our business. We're going to have to lay people off. It's going to be the end of the auto industry as we know it, and California's going to float off and go to hell in the Pacific. Well, our founders started standing up and saying, now, wait a minute. Actually, we know we're, we're not car manufacturers, but we do know something about innovation. And with the right types of government policies that can send a market signal to innovation, Maybe those Prius thingies, you know, again, this was 20 plus years ago, maybe those Prius thingies will be realities or more commonplace. And who knows, maybe even electric vehicles someday. So you can see where we are. We won on that policy. And since then, E2 has grown to about 10,000 members and supporters who work or do business in every sector of the economy, just about, and 
just about in every state of the country. Now, I remember you know going to a lot of E2 meetings probably yeah. 15 years ago or so. What was the guy's name who founded it? He also was, had a database company. Uh, Bob Epstein. Bob Epstein. Yeah, Bob right, Epstein right. and Nicole Letter are our founders from here. Yeah, yeah. And so they basically parlayed money that they had developed from the technology industry, and they deployed that towards the environment and towards an entrepreneur's that also, you know, feel passionate about the environment and going to solve those problems. It's kind exactly. of the, just like the thing I'm doing. And you kind of do it because you think it's the right thing. It's what's in your heart. It's what's in your blood. And boy, I can't tell you how gratifying it is when it also turns out to be a good business. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of look at what's happening with the IRA right now. And now, you know, it's pretty clear that this is going to be one of the biggest driving forces in the economy over the next 30 or 40 years. That's right. Well, and as I mentioned, you know, our members and supporters work across the gamut of our economy, Barry, but the one thing they have in common is that they realize that we can't have a good environment without a good economy, and we can't have a good economy without a good environment. Quite simple. All right, so where is E2 active? Well, we've got nine chapters around the country. Obviously, we got started here in the Bay Area, but we now have chapters in the Midwest, in the Northeast, our newest chapters in the Southeast, and then we have chapters up in the Pacific Northwest and all the way down to San Diego, where I happen to be from. Are your offices up here in the Bay Area, or they're kind of all So over? E2 is an affiliate of the Natural Resources Defense Council, oh, NRDC. Okay. Yep. So our team typically works out of NRDC offices. So I was just in San Francisco at our office earlier today, meeting with some of our staff there, but... I might as well be in Chicago or, or Washington or New York or never know. You, any we, place else. We can travel again. So how does yeah. that partnership work with NRDC? Well, NRDC, remember the story I told you about how E2 got started. Bob and Nicole Letter, our co-founders, were uh, very passionate about this, but frankly, they weren't policy experts. So they turned to the smartest people in the room for help, which happened to be folks at NRDC to provide guidance on policy and how to talk to lawmakers and how to do communications, et cetera. So E2 operates relatively independently from NRDC, and we speak through our members, business people, not businesses, but business people. And we just bring a different perspective on environmental policies, frankly, one that no other organization has, which is the business and the economic case for smart environmental policy. All right. So let's start talking about some of these policies. The most notable one, the one that everybody kind of comes across right now, and it's, it's on the tip of everybody's lips, is the Inflation Reduction Act. So yeah. tell us about how E2 engaged in support of that act. Oh, we worked our tails off, Barry, frankly. <laughs> we did everything we could because we knew that this is, look, not only the most important climate legislation that we've ever had in this country, if not in the world, but it's also probably one of the most impactful or will be one of the most impactful economic policies that we've ever had in our country's history. And I have to say, as somebody that's been passionate about these acts and incentives and that kind of thing, it caught me by a huge surprise when it suddenly popped up and Manchin had his, you know, you and a lot of other people, you and a lot of other people, you know, we all thought it was dead. And at the last minute, there was this resurrection, and we got the thing passed. But more specific to your question, Barry, we did a ton of work. Kind of E2's bread and butter is, again, basically bringing the economic and the business case to for smart policies like this. So we did at least 50 lawmaker meetings where we brought business people in from around the country, either virtually or sometimes in person in Washington and back home when those lawmakers were in the States and talk to them about the importance of passing this policy to solar companies, to car charging companies, to EV companies, to everyday businesses, right? 
we did probably, I don't know if you know this, Barry, but my background is as a journalist. I spent 20 years as a journalist before I, I went to E2. So we did a ton of communications work. We did a ton of communications work. I probably did 100 plus media interviews over the past several months. I wrote a book about this to bring up the economic case for climate action. Now that you mentioned it, tell me about the book. It's called Climatonomics, Washington, Wall Street, and the Economic Battle to Save Our Planet. And it really is kind of a, a two-part book. The first part is about the economic cost of climate change and, frankly, how climate change is killing our economy. You know, last year alone, we had $150 billion worth of damage from climate-related disasters in our country. So many wildfires in the West, so many hurricanes in the East, we ran out of names for them, flooding, droughts. But that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg, if you will. Look at what's happening with homeowners insurance, up 40% in a decade's time. Fire insurance, flood insurance. insurance. Food costs, you know, when farmers see their fields flooded or their chickens or their cows literally keel over like they did in Kansas over the summer from heat stroke, guess what? We're going to be paying more at the grocery line as well. So I wanted to capture kind of the economic cost of climate change, but also the economic benefits of climate change. And what, excuse me, the economic benefits of climate action. What we know, and you've been a big part of this, is that when we move to clean energy, when we move to clean vehicles, we can create a lot of jobs, we can drive a lot of investment, and we can create economic benefits. So if you have any data, let's break down the IRA into the impact that it'll have on global warming and on jobs and talk about some specific technologies that are going to benefit the most. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I think it's important that, as as mentioned, this is the biggest climate bill we've ever seen in our history. That's called the Inflation Reduction Act. It's an economic bill. Before that, the Infrastructure Bill, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Again, a huge climate policy that we just passed, but it's also an economic bill. And until now, Barry, we have not been able to pass any federal legislation of significance when it comes to climate. So really, the intersection of economy and environment, to me, has never been clearer. But specifics on the IRA. We're talking about $370 billion worth of investments across clean energy and in climate action in America. That, of course, includes tax credits, 30% tax credits on solar, on wind, on geothermal, on other clean energy infrastructure. You know, one of the things that I recall reading recently is that the numbers may be even higher than that because to a very large degree, it's uncapped as you have more and more utilities putting in solar plants or homes putting in batteries. It feeds on itself, but you've got all those extra tax benefits. So it's going to be even bigger than we think. That's exactly right. And you know this significantly, this is for 10 years. And I was just talking to one of our E2 members in Colorado the other day who's in the wind business, and he basically said, look, the visibility for 10 years is just something that we've never had. And how do you plan your business if you don't have that kind of visibility? So that's an important part of that. But in addition to the clean energy tax credits, there are, of course, tax credits for electric vehicles, $7,500 for new vehicles, 4000 for used vehicles. And there are extra tax credits, and you know this, for solar if you install it, for instance, in affordable housing. I think it's an additional 20% credit if you do solar or other renewables in environmentally impacted areas. You get an additional credit for that. So that's, that's huge in itself. But a few other areas that we worked real hard on, Barry, was, for instance, 
something called the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund, $27 billion set aside essentially to invest in clean energy and zero emission vehicle technology and really startups to some extent, especially in LMI and other communities that may have been bypassed by the growth in solar and clean energy previously. But wait, there's more. (laughs) (laughs) And, And then there's other investments through things like the Department of Energy Loan Guarantee Program which has just been huge for uh, deploying solar, deploying wind, deploying electric vehicles in the past. This is the program that helped Tesla get started. Yeah, and now we've got a solar friend, Jigger Shaw, who's running that. And and Jigger really understands deployment. When it comes to deployment, he's great at it. He's going to really make sure that that money is as wisely spent as possible. And he's got his hands full. He's got to get a lot of money out the door relatively quickly. And and if you talk to him, he'll probably tell you, send me a proposal. We need to get this money out. Yeah, it's a lot. One of the challenges that's always been there is changing the impression that business profits and environmental benefits are mutually exclusive. I mean, we're still having that with the fossil fuel industry. They're saying, oh, you know, these clean energy technologies are going to be bad for the economy. Almost, It's a Republican talking point because there's going to be so many people out of work. How do we change that attitude? Well, I think it's getting easier, Barry, frankly. And I think it's getting easier, unfortunately, because of what we were talking about earlier, which is the economic costs of inaction of not doing anything on climate change. And you start to see businesses now that are locating data centers, locating operations in places that they weren't before, in part because they don't want to deal with wildfires. They don't want to be in the eye of the literal storm in Tornado Alley or on the East Coast, for instance, in Hurricane Alley, if there is such a thing. So businesses are starting to make decisions on that. The other way that they're changing... And again, you know this. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. You know all this stuff more than I do. But you're communicating it way better than me, and you've got so much more of an authoritative voice. So our our listeners are eating it up. (laughs) But the other thing is just bottom line cost of energy. Solar, wind, as we know, is now the cheapest power available any place in the country just about. So when businesses are starting to make decisions again about where they're locating, they're going into places that... They know they can get renewable energy. That's why, you know, Google and Facebook are opening operations or have opened operations in places like Iowa, which was the number one wind state for years. In North Carolina, for instance, which has the only renewable portfolio standard in the southeast, things like that. So that makes sense. That's kind of rational. That's what we should be doing. But without a doubt, when you look at it objectively, clean energy is an existential threat to the incumbent fossil fuel industries. Now, yes, you can say if you can somehow remove the carbon from that, then fine, but economically and thermodynamically, that doesn't work. So how do we make that transition without stranding jobs? I'm not old enough, fortunately, to know how the transition from horse-drawn carriages and how the buggy whip companies and the horse stable companies were supplanted by the car companies and the the trolley companies, yeah. but we went through the same thing a hundred years ago. How do we cope with that without losing a lot of, of jobs? They're good jobs. They're people making a lot of money. They're union jobs. They've got good incomes. They're supporting their families, but they know nothing about these new industries. How right. can we make that transition? Well, I think first of all, we need to be honest about it. And you were asking earlier about what E2 did and what I did around the IRA and what we were doing. And I mentioned some of the media work that we did. One of the places I really enjoyed going on the air was on a radio station in West Virginia. 
It's called the Hoppy Kershaw Show, I think it is. This is the most widely listened radio station in that state by far, hands down. It's where Joe Manchin, Senator Joe Manchin, goes when he wants to make a big announcement. It's where he went when he said, I'm out of this deal. And a few weeks later, it's where he went to say, okay, I'm back in. In between those two visits by Senator Manchin, by the way, I asked our radio bookers, get me on Hoppy's show. Whatever you do, just get me on Hoppy's show. I want to talk to Hoppy about this because it was so influential. And the first thing he did, Barry, when I got on the air with him, he said, now, Bob, if you're going to come in here and you're going to tell us that all these coal miners are going to work in solar or wind turbines or whatever, I just got to tell you, we've been hearing that for a long time and it hasn't happened. So don't, please just don't tell us that again. And I said, Hoppy, you know what? You're exactly right. But there are going to be opportunities for people in energy. And who better to do those energy jobs than people in the energy industry today? Right now, we know that there are 3.2 million clean energy jobs in America. We know this because my organization, E2, has been tracking that for about 10 years. The vast majority of those jobs, Barry, they're not jobs like yours or your companies. They're energy efficiency jobs. They're construction jobs, making our homes, our offices, our schools more energy efficient, and by the way, saving money with every electric bill. Under the IRA, there's a huge amount of money that's going to go into energy efficiency programs. There's designated billions of dollars that are going to go into coal communities. So no, everybody is not going to work, move from oil and gas or, or coal into solar or wind, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other opportunities. And let's face it, this is the energy industry. We need energy workers doing this work. You know, it's interesting when you talk about what class of workers is going to do what kind of jobs. And you think that there's a lot of field work and roof work and, you know, putting solar panels and wind turbines in. But when I look at almost every single solar and wind company that's doing deployment and developing technology, It's about half and half, maybe 60% workers and 40% support people. I mean, there's just, I mean, you look at our company and it's about half and half. That's right. I mean, half of the people are on the roof. The other half of the people are marketing the services, the products, are selling the services and products, permitting it, interconnecting it, doing all the engineering design, doing the accounting, all that. So these companies are big, but they're balanced. It's not just blue collar, it's white collar too. That's right. And frankly, we don't know exactly where this is going to go. (laughs) We're starting to see it. You know, we're starting to see it. Look at electric vehicle manufacturing. Every single car maker in the world right now is moving to electric vehicles, and they're building plants all over the place. But if you look in America where those plants are, sure, there's some going in Detroit, but they're going also to Kentucky, to Tennessee, to West Virginia, to North Carolina. Just today, BMW announced a big expansion of its battery and EV plant in Spartanburg, South Carolina. These are creating thousands and thousands of jobs that would not have happened uh, without this policy. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Well, speaking about jobs, talk specifically about the opportunities for new jobs, transitioning people from old jobs to new jobs that are driven by the IRA. Right. Well, recently the Blue Green Alliance, an organization of environmental groups and unions, came out with a study that shows that Based on the investments through the IRA, we're going to create about 9 million jobs in clean energy. Remember what I said earlier, we had about 3.2 million right now, and that's a lot of people. To give you some scope on that, 3.2 million people, Barry, that's more than there are people who work as bankers in this country. It's more than there are lawyers in this country. It's more than there are public school teachers. We're talking about tripling that number of jobs thanks to these investments in the IRA. 
which, by the way, brings up an issue. Where the heck are these people going to come from? So one of the things that I think we need to really focus on is workforce development and making sure we can train people up to go to work for companies like yours. It's interesting when I I kind of look at my kids and their peers and their interest in the environment and, you know, just people that are coming into work for us now. They're very engaged with this topic. They want to stop global warming. They want a nice earth to live on for their grandchildren to live on. How crazy is that? But that's really (laughs) changed. I mean, heck, I was was one of the wackos, but all my other friends went into, you know, investment banking or the fossil fuel industry from college. That's right. And now this is the cool thing. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah, which is great. The same thing. When I got out of high school and then got out of college, it was all, you know, let's go to work on Wall Street. Let's go be an investment banker. But everybody you talk to now realizes that, number one, they want to do something to save this planet and to save this place that we're living on, and they can make a good living doing it. That's the key. They can now make a really good living doing it. Okay, so speaking of these transitions, one of the transitions that's a little bit of challenge is you've got uh, incumbent electric utilities that have a very good model, heck, going back to Thomas Edison and George Westinghouse, yep. of generating power centrally and then distributing it. Now we're generating power at really long distances and transmitting it and getting it to homes and businesses. But that's a business model that's based on incumbent utilities. kind of reminds me a little bit of the telephone business where right. you know, AT&T kind of controlled everything. But now it's so cost-effective for businesses businesses and homeowners to put in their own power plant, their own reliable power plant, solar batteries. How is that going to evolve when you've got incumbent monopolies, government-blessed monopolies that are basically saying, well, no, we want to do it the old way where we make money and frustrate this big opportunity? Right. Well, I think, first of all, the climate crisis is such that we need to do everything we possibly can to generate as much clean energy as we possibly can and replace that dirty energy. Utilities have to figure in there somehow. They need to move more quickly to become cleaner. I think a lot of them are, but that's also where government policy comes in as well. And economics, of course, obviously, right? You don't see a lot of people building new coal plants because coal's not cheap anymore. You're not going to see a whole lot of more natural gas plants, I don't think, because we know that solar and wind is cheaper. Yeah, and it comes back to the economics driving the environmental benefits. When they align, then you're able to do something that's really good for the environment and make money. So that's, that's right. That's kind of cool. That's All right. right. So besides the IRA, what are some of E2's other major victories over the past years? Well, you know, it began with our work around clean vehicles that I described earlier here in California, and now we're working on those policies. We've helped spread those policies to other states when it comes to clean vehicles. We're now working real hard on bringing the next sectors of transportation up to speed, so to speak, when it comes to electrifying. So we're working hard on the advanced clean trucks rule, for instance, that was passed here in California, but now expanding that to other states. We're working real hard on building electrification and getting gas out of buildings in major cities from New York and Chicago to California, of course. Yeah, no, I'm engaged in a bunch yeah. of groups in California, and city by city, they're creating these reach codes, right. where they, they call them a reach code because they want to reach for the, the maximum zero-carbon benefits, and they're basically making it really hard to put in gas appliances. And, you know, you talk to builders, like, it's if we don't have to put in a gas line, we just put in an induction cooktop and heat pumps, we can save a lot of money in construction. That's right. And you know you got a very efficient house. I mean, I live in one now, and there's like no gas, and it works great. That's right. Um, You have to have solar on the roof in order to make the economics click. I am a little bit biased there. That's right. That's right. What's on the agenda at E2 in the coming year? 
Well, again, we're going to be working hard on those policies that we've been talking about, cleaning up our transportation sector, cleaning up our buildings. We're also working hard on the farm bill, for instance, and figuring out ways to advance low-carbon agriculture. And there are provisions within the IRA that is going to advance cleaner farming practices as well, which is great. But the farm bill is coming up soon, and we need to figure out ways to make it easier for the ag industry to go cleaner as well. We're working on things like the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act. You might wonder, what the heck is E2 and these business people working on? read my mind. Yeah, what's that about? (laughs) Well, think about it. The biggest user of fuel in the world is the armed services, is the military, specifically the Air Force in every jet that they fly. But what if we can get the biggest user of fuels to use cleaner fuels and to advance the market for biofuels, for instance, that we know every single plane can now fly on? That's going to be a huge market maker that's going to filter through the entire economy. What if we get the biggest user, one of the biggest fleets of vehicles, we're not talking about tanks, we're talking about non-tactical vehicles, buses and jeeps and things like that on every single army base. What if we can get them to shift to more electric vehicles? Yeah, maybe the post office. Yeah, go figure, huh? Right, right, right. So that not only helps our environment in the short term, but it sends that market signal and creates momentum in that market in our economy. So kind of looking at these advocacy efforts from a high level. How does the pendulum swing from democratic presidency and administration to a Republican administration back to a democratic and who knows where it's going to swing? Oh, Barry, you know the answer to that. (laughs) (laughs) It swings violently, unfortunately, (laughs) sometimes. Look, I mean, we just, what I like to point out is that the IRA was strictly passed on partisan lines. Mm -hmm. It was passed 100% by Democrats. But the benefits from that is clearly bipartisan because these benefits are flowing to red states as much, probably even more. Yeah, I think than, I, I read into blue states. I read it's even more. I mean, the yeah. red states are going to get more solar. They're going to get more wind. They're going to get right. more environmental benefits. They're going to get right. more clean vehicles, more manufacturing. Again, certainly. look at that manufacturing. Yeah. 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 You know, I think it's important for people to understand that this clean energy should not be a partisan or a political issue. We're not talking about red states. We're not talking about blue states. We're talking about red, white, and blue states. And what I say, Barry, is, look, I don't care if you even like polar bears. I don't care if you even believe in science. I don't care if you drive a Prius or a pickup truck. The fact of the matter is climate change is killing our economy right now. And by addressing that, we are creating jobs. We're driving economic growth in every single state in this country. All right. So I'm looking at this cool book. I'm looking forward to reading it. You were a journalist in your earlier part of your career. How did you get involved in the environmental movement? (laughs) Three reasons. Delaney, Grace, and Carly. Those are my three daughters. Ah, okay. Uh, And, you know, I got into journalism, believe it or not, because I thought I could do some public good. And I feel like I did for a lot of the time I was a journalist. And then It's still the greatest job in the world. Where were you a journalist? Where were you writing? You know, my last job was covering Washington, covering the White House and Congress for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution newspaper. But before that, I spent 10 years here in California covering the West for a chain of newspapers, the Cox Newspapers chain. Before that, I was the technology editor in Austin, Texas, back when we used to fly reporters, and I would come out quite often to Silicon Valley to see what the heck was happening when Austin was just coming up as a tech town. You flew on the nerd bird. The nerd bird. You got it. You got it. That's exactly right. And back and forth between Silicon Valley and Austin. All right. Well, right. so 
Do you have solar on your home, batteries? Are you going all electric? Tell me about your uh, personal environmental habits. Well, thank you for asking. Yes, I've had solar on my house for, gosh, uh, eight years or so now. I got what I was told was the first LG residential battery in the continental United States. When I put that in, frankly, it had a, a bunch of malfunctions, and I had to replace it a couple times. But yes, I have a battery in my garage, and I have a plug-in Prius that's way overdue for a replacement. But since mainly my daughter drives that to school, which is about 10 miles round trip, it does the job. Right, that's good. Great one. You know, people like you, like me, we're, right. we're practicing what we preach. So how can people get in touch with you at E2? Well, you can always go to E2.org and find out all about us. You can go to E2.org slash join and join us if you are a business person and you care about these issues and want to both support our work and get involved with actually changing policy. You can reach me through that website as well. All right, great. Well, terrific. Thanks, Bob, for joining us and coming here from San Diego. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to this week's energy show. Barry wants everyone to benefit from clean energy. So if you missed any of today's show, you can go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.